Greetings, this is Jason Hill, and this is the podcast version of Into the Gap, which airs every Saturday morning from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. Central on WCGO Radio, 1590 a.m. and 95.9 FM in Chicago. Hey, good morning. This is Mike Sherrick, Jason Hill. This is Into the Gap. It is Saturday. I believe today is May 30th, 2020. It it's my dad's birthday. Oh, happy birthday. Well, my dad. dad's been been passed for about 22 years. Oh, I years. didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, but it's his birthday oh. today. He would have been, let's see, how old would he have been? He would have been like 88, 88 oh. or 89. Yeah. So it's his birthday today. Happy birthday, Dad, wherever you are. So, wow, man, it's been a tough week, dude. You it know? It's been a very tough week. And uh, I, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit before this, and I really, I'm going to let you speak because what we're going to cover today is race in America. And and uh, the the obvious issues that we're dealing with as a as a culture and how this relates and what our relationship is to it and uh, um, I I think the only way I can express how I feel is profound sadness. I'm like literally on the brink of tears and have been for about two days and I'm not sure why you know. Um, and that's uncommon because, you know me, I'm a big strapping, you know, alpha male, you know, you know, I don't go around crying and, uh, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to make a difference. I don't know, um, how to be about this. Right. Well, you know, uh, I think part of it is that you, you've witnessed, they are, we're witnessing the unraveling of the social contract that yeah. we have among ourselves, no yeah. matter the fissures, no matter the divisions, no matter whether we're Republicans or Democrats, libertarians, yeah. anarchists, there still is a social contract yeah. among all of us as people that, that hold us as unified Americans. Yeah. And that's unraveling. I mean, yeah. what we saw this week, what I saw <clears throat> in the murder, the brutal murder of George Floyd was a snuff film. Yeah. We saw Americans saw a snuff film. Uh, with a police officer kneeling quietly, silently, defiantly looking into a camera, into several cameras, while a snuff film was being made of him killing a man, an unarmed man who did not resist arrest. On the heels of that, there was a, a very refined, you know, well-educated edu black man mm -hmm. who was bird watching in Central Park. Yeah. And this woman, uh, 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 Amy Cooper. Yeah. Uh, threatened him. He asked her to leash his dog, mm -hmm. leash her dog in a bird sanctuary in a very gentle way. Yeah. And she explicitly said, I'm going to call the police and say that an African-American man yeah. has threatened me. And she, she emphasized African-American yeah. over and over again, knowing full well in a way. And I have written about this, you know, um, I'm a, first of all, I'm a member of, I, I support blue lives monetarily mm -hmm. and I've criticized black lives matter yeah. on several occasions. But yeah. for the first time, you know, I felt, that this is this we've we've gone over reach we've gone overboard well and, here's and, a woman and, who yeah. here's a woman who is exploiting the power of her whiteness yep. she knows how racism works and she knows her relationship to the police as a white person and she knows how this black man is related to the police as a black man and she's going to deliberately exploit it well and i also think she's exploiting her feminism you know? Well, she's exploiting so many things. Yeah, exactly, and and yeah, and that's what goes on. We're not, we're no longer 
being responsible for the words that come out of our mouth and the actions we take, we're only out to deliver the, in, the outcome we want. And, and, you know, the word you used the other day, two or three weeks ago, was, was, was feral or feral, right? Where we've, we've gotten mm-hmm. to be this kind of base level of, of, of creature where we're, all it's about is our own survival. And all we're doing is acting on impulse, and when you do that, that's not the highest level of expression, nor is that the way the framers, you know, thought this country would work. This, this country was based on freedom, and with freedom comes responsibility, and there's no responsibility in acting only in survival and acting only out of our basis level of emotion. And, yeah. and the thing you didn't mention, the one that I thought was the most egregious of all these, was the, uh, the pump shotgun in Georgia mm-hmm. that, that killed that young man in Georgia. Mm-hmm. You know, and again, um, they weren't active m- members of the police department, but, you know, again, there were two dudes driving around with a pump shotgun in their, in their car, in their truck. And, and they murdered that guy running. Yes. And, it, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know how you, you balance that out. I don't know how you balance that equation to make that make sense. You know, right? It doesn't make sense. I mean, it it makes everything has a everything makes sense logically from the perspective of um, the perspective of the person inhabiting or or doing the action. So, yeah. you know, if you are if you are a feral racist or if you are yeah. a hater or if you're someone who sees the person before you who you think deserves to be annihilated, you know that makes logical sense from that perspective yeah. from from those of us who have a moral compass and who are uh, law-abiding persons then it seems completely rational and seems completely illogical but if you inhabit that space of fu- moral furality where mm-hmm. you want to annihilate someone for no other person for no other reason that you, then that you hate that person or you despise that person because of their skin color then well, there's a, a, a twisted perverted logic to it well well when, when i look at that you know, I, I, I'm always curious what's the mindset that leads to the action. You know, we can we see all these actions and most of them don't make any sense to me until you get behind it. Like you're talking about what is the context in which it's showing up in? What, it, what is what's driving these these what seems to be crazy actions? And, and what I see is we have become a country and a culture and maybe a world that's completely locked in fear. You know, everyone is fearful of themselves. I, I, I've even seen it myself this week. There's been a couple things happen, and I'm a pretty, like, I'm involved in this real estate transaction. And, and you know, they didn't quite dot the I's and, and cross the T's the way they said they did. And my reaction was not like me. I started questioning the whole thing. And, um, mm. you know, it, it's, it's just, it, it, there's something up that is, there's, we're, we're there's an illness in this country across the board with everyone that is that we're not dealing with, you know? And I'm not talking about COVID. I'm talking right. about um, a, a profound lack of trust and, a, and, a, and a, just a, a ton of fear that people are operating on top of, you know? Right. Well, you, I think what we're seeing is, you know, not just a lack of leadership. I think what we're seeing is 
of fear that comes with a loss of status and a loss of power. And mm. we saw this, you know, we saw a sort of backlash against by men with the rise of a gender equality and the unassailability of gender equality, where women are worth properly thought to mm-hmm. be deserving of mm-hmm. equal treatment before the law. There was a, a pernicious backlash. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about man-hating feminism. I'm talking about equity feminists, fem- mm-hmm. women who simply think that they are deserving of the same kind of respect and pay mm-hmm. and treatment as men. And there, yeah. are, there are a group of men mm-hmm. who are, 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 are not leader leaders, mm-hmm. or not strong men, but weak men who fear women, Mm-hmm. Who have a backlash? Mm-hmm. Who backlashed against such women and and against such movements? And I think the same thing happens in race relations. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I'm just going to speak personally. Here, sure, please do. Among among liberals and yeah. among Republicans or conservatives. Yeah, you see it. I see it quite often. I saw it when I came here 35 years ago, where people would say, where I was met with a kind of incredulity among people, whites, who would say, how come you're so smart as a black person? Yeah. And you see the kind of fear and you see the kind of resentment among mm-hmm. whites who had to admit to themselves that they'd actually met a black person who was smarter than they were yeah. or as smart as they were. Yeah. And that messes up with their socialization because black they're, they're, they're socialized to believe in black inferiority. Mm-hmm. And that really messes up with one's sense of one's identity. And so I think with any kind of rise in mobility, whether it's uh, uh, on the female part or on the mm-hmm. racial part, mm-hmm. there is a there's a concomitant fear factor that comes with this fear of loss of status, and uh, and it comes from weak men, and it comes no, from a form of you're, tribalism. You're absolutely right because what you're talking about, it's you know you're going to take from me. This is yes. what I've got, and it's that that thing that you see where. Um, which is, you know, foundational to prejudice is where, you know, I've got to be better than somebody, you mm-hmm. know, so I've got to put you down to raise me up. And that's just a, that's a scarcity context. One of not fully understanding, you know, how, um, how life goes. Um, Jay, when we come back, uh, there, there's a subject I want to talk about that I hate the subject and I hate the word. And, and, but I, I think, we need to talk about it. And it's, I'd, I'd love to get your perspective and talk about white privilege. Um, mm-hmm. Whenever I hear it, I get triggered, like all get out. You know, I, I don't see myself. I mean, I, I identify as a white guy, you know, I don't see myself as privileged in any way, you know, but I, I think there's a bigger conversation and I want to unpack that. And uh, I, so we'll be back in a, a two minutes, everyone. This is Mike Sherrick, Jason Hill. This is into the gap. And this WCGO Chicago. Jason Hill here, and I want to let you know that you're listening to the podcast version of Into the Gap, which airs every Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. Central on WCGO Radio. Tune in live from 1590 a.m. and 95.9 FM, the Smart Talk app. Tune in or WCGORadio.com. The podcast is available from Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. Find it, rate it, and subscribe. If you'd like to get in touch about the show or inquire about sponsorship opportunities and rates, please reach out to my co-host Mike at MikeShrek at gmail.com. Hey, we're back. This is Mike Sherrick. This is Jason Hill. This is Into the Gap. And uh, I just got a text from my brother. My dad would have been 88 today. So, <laughs> hey, Tara, how you doing? Um, yeah, so, Jay, I wanted to talk about um, a, a subject that I just – 
drives me nuts. It's the, the, the subject of white privilege. And I would love to get your take on it so that I can actually hear it in a way that uh, doesn't make me want to uh, scream and yell. Well, you know, I've written about this in my book. I have a whole section on it. Yeah. And I have some, I'm someone who are, who is of two minds about it. One mm-hmm. is that I've criticized the, the, the idea from the perspective of uh, claiming it as an excuse for seeing oneself as a victim. Yeah. That is, it cannot be discussed unilaterally in the sense that there are any number of white people who are don't enjoy the way that the term white privilege as a blanket term has been used. Right. I would, I would be one of them. Yeah. By the progressive left. Yeah. However, let us be clear. Yeah. When I walk into, and this is in 35 years of living in America mm-hmm. as a black man, this has happened to me. I'm dressed in my three-piece suit, dressed yeah. to the nines. And yeah. I walk into when they used to have Borders bookstore and I'm yep. a book geek. So I'd go there every day dressed in my cashmere coat looking like a million dollars i do not look like a thug and i'm being (laughs) followed in the store by all these white 17 and or 21 year old clerks yeah or i go to macy's and i'm followed and i know that if i were white this would not happen to me yeah yeah right so and i stop because i don't truck nonsense from anybody so i say why are you following me and can i help you what do i look like someone who needs to steal something from your store because I'm not a victim and I will not tolerate yeah. crap yeah. from anyone. I know that when I go and I've been, I've driven, I've gone on a, uh, uh, a road trip through throughout this country for six weeks mm-hmm. with uh, a partner of mine that I was with for 14 years. Mm-hmm. And we uh, drive through Utah and I go, he goes jogging uh, through uh, a trailer park. Nobody looks at him. I go jogging and they call the cops. Yeah. Right. So there is something about white people's relationship to power and institutions that's very, very different. A white working class person does not run the risk of having, no matter how poor they are, does Mm -hmm. not run, have the same risk, run the same risk of having the cops called on them or being followed in a store. Right. As I do, no matter how well dressed I am, no matter how articulate and well spoken I am. Yeah. And that's, those are just basic facts yeah that's true that's true those are just basic facts i'm driving if i'm driving uh, and my brother has his fear my brother is a is is quite wealthy he's Mm. a he's a computer engineer yeah and he lives in minneapolis yeah wow and he's been you know and he he's been harassed by the police yeah right and in a way for no other reason than that he's black and he drives a bmw yeah that's that's what when people talk about so I'm rethinking, you know, I'm a thinker and my yeah. job as a thinker is to modify, not just through my personal experiences. This thing with this woman, you know, Amy Cooper in the, in the yeah. in Central Park has really, really rattled me to the core. Yeah, that's really r- ragging you. I mean, that's, yeah. That's really ragging me because that is white privilege. Mm-hmm. That is that if one could ostensibly point to something, because yeah. that is a woman who says, how dare you, you uppity nigger. That's yeah. what she's saying in her mind. How dare you uppity nigger tell me to leash my dog. If that were a white man telling her to leash her dog, she would mm-hmm. have complied. They probably would have had a little conversation, chit-chatted about their dog, yeah. her dog. But she was she took umbrage at the yeah. fact that a black man told her to leash her dog. And she's like, I'm going to punish you. I'm going to use your blackness 
I'm going to weaponize my whiteness because it has a certain relationship to power and authority. And I'm going to weaponize it. And I'm going to use your blackness, which has a lower social standing in relation to institutions. And I'm going to call the police on your ass, on your black ass, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to punish you. And that could have been another snuff film. The police could have come and knelt in, 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 in Christopher Cooper's, which is his name, no relation to the woman, yeah. in his neck, and he could have been dead. Yeah. And that pisses me off. So I'm, you know, I'm rethinking the subtleties of what people mean by white, yeah. white privilege. I, I, I think, thanks, because it, it, that helped a lot for me, because I just hear it, I'm just going, it's, you know, it's some kind of liberal pablum that whitewashes everything and... And I have a concern when we use equality to create sameness, you know. And um, so, so what I'm hearing, I, I I can't argue with you. There's there's no doubt. If I'm driving down the highway mm-hmm. in my Ford F-150 and I'm doing 80 and a 65, mm-hmm. the, the likelihood of me getting pulled over mm-hmm. is super super low. Exactly. Super low, you know. Because why are they going to do it? You know, I probably got a good lawyer. You know, I'm probably not going to give them any problems. They're probably not going to get anything more than a speeding ticket from me. You know, I'm not going to help their numbers, all of it. You know, I'm not going to have any bad records or anything like that. Um, the thing is, though, what, what I, I think what irks people like me when they hear that is the dismissiveness of the struggle or the challenge or the work that we had to do to achieve what we achieved. You know, and I, and it, it so it, it occurs as like an absence of respect because when, when you look at it, when we look at the different social programs that exist in the world, you know, what's really interesting, Jay, there's never been a movement that's changed society that wasn't supported by the majority of white men. And, and I'll give you an example. The biggest supporter of Martin Luther King was United Auto Workers Union. Mm-hmm. The biggest financial supporter. And at the time, the United Auto Workers Union was predominantly white men, white, blue-collar men. Mm-hmm. And they aligned with Dr. King because what Dr. King was talking about was equal representation under the law. was about, right. you know, and that's what, it was completely aligned. And that's how Dr. King got traction, was yeah. this group of white men. Women, you know, and women, like, like you talk about the men that push back on women, but women would not have gotten a seat at the table unless there was a certain group of men that supported them. Now, those men tend to be pretty quiet, and they tend to not raise too much of a ruckus, and they tend to sit back in the background. And the concern I have, because I'm one of them, the concern I have is when I hear this narrative and this kind of overall indictment of all, of certain anything, you know, when I hear privilege... When I hear white privilege, to me, that sounds almost exactly the same as when someone refers to a black person as you people. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's that level of disrespect. Mm-hmm. And we've become so binary in our political positions that it forces people to choose. Mm-hmm. And if you mm-hmm. cut off one choice because you're attacking me, that only leaves me another way to go. And that's not palatable, you know? Right, right. And, and so I, I think therein lies – and, and it, this is – this is not to be the victim at all, because I'm not a victim of anything. But I'm just, I'm just saying, this is, this is a challenge I have with it and why I wrestle with it so much. And, well, here's, here's yeah. an analogy, Mike. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was raised in a very middle class. Sure. Uh, priv- uh, we didn't have a lot of money, but we came from a, a, a 
a very privileged social middle class Dude, family. you lived in a vacation Every, paradise 52 weeks a year. Come on. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. So, no, but but I had a certain, yeah. came from a certain, you know, my, my on my father's side of the family, they were sort of aristocrats. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when I whenever I go back to Jamaica to visit my mother, the minute I open my mouth, mm-hmm. uh, I I get deference from 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 the working class Jamaicans, the proleti- what people are called peasants, or sure. just regular working class. I get a kind of deference, mm-hmm. right? And people defer to me. Mm-hmm. No, there's a, there's a certain class of certain type of class privilege mm-hmm. that I enjoy. Yeah, yeah. And people call me boss. I go into the store and say, "Hey, boss." <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. And that's why I love going to Jamaica because I don't get called boss here. Yeah. Psh- I'll start referring. What, I'll start referring right. to you as boss. Okay. No, well, that's fine, but <laughs> right. So when people, if people say you enjoy a certain type of class privilege, yeah, I know. I don't feel indicted as an individual. I mm-hmm. know exactly what they mean. Yeah. I know because I have a certain type of accent. Mm-hmm. I don't speak like a working class Jamaican. I have a certain way of speaking. Yeah. I have. I'm not very dark skinned. Right. And so I understand that. What they mean is that I can walk into a store, and if the if the police stops me in Jamaica, or if I walk into a store, uh, my mother, for example, if she's at the back of a line, mm-hmm. she'll get pulled to the front. Yeah. Um, there's a certain kind of class privilege that one enjoys by just virtue of being born in a certain kind of class. Yeah. And I don't get rankled by it because I know there's a certain type of truth to it. Yeah. And to deny it would be to be inhabiting false consciousness. I mean, I can just use my voice and you know my voice yeah. to, if I were in a precarious or compromising situation in Jamaica, to wrangle my way out of that situation in a way that someone who cannot speak standard English, which yeah. most Jamaicans don't speak, right, uh, would be left handicapped. And so when people use, I, I, I like to complicate the term white privilege because I think used unilaterally as a blanket statement it's quite, it's a, it's, it's not quite true. Right. But there's also some element of truth mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. And we have to be careful and nuanced in how we use it. Yeah. And we can't use it as a way to indict all white people yeah. as enjoying equal, equal white privilege. Because the poor white person in Appalachia is not enjoying the same mm-hmm. white privilege as, you know, Miss Upper East Side in New York City exactly. in a brownstone mansion. Exactly. Right. Yeah. No, I, I think I think what there is is there's a we do have a class privilege and there's a an economic gap in this country that continues to grow, and and that's kind of the thing that I see. And 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 what's happening is this economic gap has grown, and the 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 upper one percent or upper one tenth of one percent has got more and more wealthy. It's been at the expense of the people on the lower end of the spectrum. Off, many of them are people of color, and so. Uh, I, I think I think it's much more economic than it is racial, but we're you know it's easy to identify someone by skin color than it is to identify them by their bank account because you don't know what I mean. Mark Zuckerberg and I dress exactly alike, you know. So um, yeah, it's just such a complex issue, man. Um, so we're gonna have to uh, take another break. I, when we come back, I want to talk to you, Jay, about what what are the what are the steps we can take. Um, you and I, in, in particular, as leaders, as men, of, of, as someone committed to, to creating a country that we're really expressed freedom and respect for one another, and, and how, do we, how do we put the genie back in the bottle? Mm-hmm. 
You know, I, I, I don't know what the, I always thought I had a clear pathway in, and I think part of my sadness is that I'm stuck. So Jay, uh, when we left the last break, we were talking about, uh, I mean, I kind of metaphorically said, how do we put the genie back in the bottle? I'm not sure I want to put the genie back in the bottle. I'm not sure I want to recreate what we had. Yeah. Um, what do you see are the next steps or the places to look or the, the shifts that need to be made for us to move forward in this way and where we don't annihilate one another? Well, look, I think that um, very few conservatives today talk about, uh, because so many people, there are so very few authentic conservatives. Yeah. Very few people talk about individualism. Yeah. Right? And I think that, you know, we need to change not just our moral vocabularies, but we need to change our orientation of living. And I don't believe in historical determinism. I think that people can make different choices. We have lapsed into, and I've written three books about this, uh, academic books mm-hmm. that were really meant for a general audience before I wrote the other book. But I've written books about what I call tribalism yeah, and the dangers of tribalism. We have lapsed into what I call biological collectivism hmm. and a dangerous form. What does that mean, form what does that mean nat- Jay? It, It's a form of nativism. Okay. It means where we sort of gain tr- our, our, the basic thrust of our moral identities come from ancestry worship. Okay. Right? Comes from wow. a kind of nativism, which I must say that our president is has promoted a kind of dangerous nativism. Yeah. And we must divest ourselves from this kind of nativism and get back to what America um, America and Americans was built on yeah. individualism, rugged individualism, where we see each person as an individual not as a, tri- a member of tribes. I I feel very, very angry right now mm-hmm. about at the state of this country because I wrote a book, you know, celebrating yeah. the moral meaning of America in which I said America was the first country to de-ratify the notion of collectivism and to create the notion of what individualism means. To yeah. de-tribe, I said in this book, America detribalized the world by becoming the first country that promoted individualism where we look, it wasn't a perfect process and it took a long, it took many generations for it to occur. You, you know, and many foundings, yeah. right? Many foundings, including the second founding, which, which was Lincoln's Gettysburg Address and then the 1964 Civil Rights Act. Yeah. But we have got to get back. I don't hear anybody talking about individualism anymore. No. We've lapsed on both sides. We have lapsed into a state of dangerous collectivism where we're tribes. It's tribalism rules the ethos from these beta little these little beta governor goons yeah. who looked looked to the president to went to open the state instead of relying on their own sovereignty and autonomy and their own independent rational judgment. They yeah. looked to, you know, some federal leader. Yeah. Uh, to universities, university presidents who are also looking to state governors instead of looking at their own independent autonomy, aut- autonomous capabilities. We have become little fi- tribal factions, and that has spilled over into how we see each other. And that nativism <laughs> has got to be dissolved, and we've got to get back to being a nation of individuals where we look at each other, yeah, not as racial or ethnic competitors. Because I tell you what, Mike, this whole talk, this whole xenophobic, uh, I speak as an immigrant, this mm-hmm. whole xenophobic uh, thrust 
and or and bent that we're getting to is dangerous. We have a yeah. massive shortage of nurses in this country. Oh no. Right? We need immigrants in this country. Absolutely. We need skilled immigrants. This country right? was built on immigration. We, it, need, we have a massive shortage of doctors. And I know as an educator of 24 years that we do not have enough Americans, black, brown, white, homegrown Americans to fill our PhD programs yeah. in aeronautical engineering, yeah. in computer science. They're all filled by mostly Asian immigrants. Yeah. So we'd, we'd better either invest in our educational systems and 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 qualify our homegrown Americans to fill the vacuum that's there or, yeah. you know, rid ourselves of this talk of immigrants being uh, em- enemies or inimical to Americanism. Uh, yeah. This nativism, this nativism that has taken ascendancy in our national speak talk, I think has got to go and we've got to get back to a philosophy of radical individualism. Yeah. Jay, thanks so much for, because what you explained as you were speaking, I was listening and, you know, listening because I, I really feel lonely and alone. And I'm, I'm, I was wondering why do I have this sense of being so alone? And it's, it's as this whole process, especially through the whole COVID thing and now this, what, I, what I've realized is the, for, for lack of a better word, the philosophy that I actually adhere to is pure conservatism, you know, and that, and I really believe in the individual and I believe that our relationship with ourselves, our self-knowledge, our self-understanding, our self-acceptance is key to success and key to building relationships with other, because how can you know someone and how can you be in relationship with someone if you're not fundamentally in relationship with yourself? Exactly. You know? And so what I'm seeing is, and, and you kind of put it all together, because I always thought of myself as middle of the road, because the, the, the uh, cardboard cutout conservatives, the, you know, the Lindsey Grahams and those guys, you know, I, I like them one minute, and the next minute they say something stupid, it doesn't make sense to me, you know? They're all beta bitches. Yeah. And, and, and so I see that, and, and I don't see, I don't see anymore the guy who's willing to stand up in the face of things. And the one guy who I thought... I really respected cut just a ton of grief was John McCain, mm-hmm. you know? Oh yes. And, and, yes, and the other guy that I liked was Jeff Flack, both from Arizona, you know? And, and I'm starting to discover there's something about Arizona that is uniquely American. You know, I've got some friends down there and, and the way it's operating, the way things are going, there's something about Arizona that I'm really going to put my attention on. But, um, it's, there's a, but, but, but what you're saying is so true. Well, and, and, and it's, it's it, at the heart of what masculinity is about. You know, for men to be men, they have to be individual. They have to be self-reliant. They have to be, they have to perform meaningful work. They've got to be able to do things. They've got to, someone laughed at me yesterday because I said I was a tool user. You know? <laughs> and so, of course you are. Well, like, it was almost pejorative. And, and so... We've got to get back to and understand what makes what makes this country great is what you said it was. It's, exactly. it, and it's the ability where anyone from anywhere could come here and utilize their God-given talents and become successful. And we had been making progress, Mike. Since 19, the 1964 Civil Rights mm-hmm. Act, we had been widening the pantheon of the human community, or, or the term I prefer to use is the domain of the ethical yeah. right, had been widening. People who had been excluded yeah. from human concern 
now the domain of the ethical includes plants and trees and the environment. And we are ex we're, we're kicking out people that heretofore had been included in that, that, that domain of the ethical. Yeah. And we've got to make the criteria for membership not arbitrary. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying that a country doesn't, you know, I'm not for open borders, no. right? So that's, that talk is ridiculous and ludicrous that we need to have a vetting process mm -hmm. and that every country has the right to determine the criteria, the various criteria and procedures for determining mm -hmm. who gets, because immigration is not a human right. It's a privilege that each right. sovereign country right. determines who gets let, gets let in. But the, the criteria cannot be arbitrary and they cannot be based on some notion of um, nativism. That is, right. you know, if, if you're a particular ethnic group, then just by definition, your, 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 your sense of belonging uh, is disqualified. Right. And, and, and going back to masculinity and what it means to be a, 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 a male and a leader is that people don't realize that true individualists mm -hmm. are not isolationists no actually they are the ones who create the foundations for true community it's, it's how you create community because it's how you create communities because, and communities yeah. have become obsolete because we the, the creators of communities have abandoned have abandoned communities right to to be to be an individualist is not to be some kind of hermit who flees up on a mountaintop and lives those those people would call hermits. Yeah, <laughs> you, you you know Jay, I, I think the the best analogy I can think of is is like a jazz band, right? Each member of the band plays a unique instrument in his own unique way in his own unique expression, and when they come together, they make music. Mm -hmm. And one isn't more well, one may be more important than the other. Like in the Miles Davis band, Miles Davis is more important than every, everyone, but. The, you know, John Coltrane is equally important. And the drummer and the bass players are equally needed. And so it, it's, it's really about that. It's bringing the talents of everybody that are, that's different together as opposed to creating the sameness. Mm -hmm. You know, we've created these echo chambers where if you, if you have a different opinion, you are not only ex excluded, you're attacked. Yeah. That's insane to me. Yeah. And as someone who has a very low need for agreement, it, it's, it's gotten really, really weird because I am an individualist and I stand for what I believe in. And it's mm -hmm. not, not to the exclusion of anyone else, you know? And uh, I actually love discourse. I love learning. Mm -hmm. Th that's why I appreciate you so much. You bring, like the, the conversation we had about privilege. I don't like that conversation, but I learned from it, mm -hmm. you know? And so that's the only way we can move forward. And, and I'm, I'm very, very concerned. And, and you're right. It's these beta people that, that are so weak and spineless that have somehow collectively created a, a voice. And we're supposed to listen to them. Mm -hmm. Screw mm -hmm. that, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where the abnegation of responsibility has gone. I think people are just, you know, people are afraid uh, we're, we've become herd creatures, Mike. Yeah, we've become, no, herd, we've we, become followers. We, we absolutely have. You know what? We'll, we'll talk about we got We'll be back in a, we're going to take a break in about a minute. But let's talk about that. Where has the abdication of leadership gone and the abdication of responsibility and, and what's it been replaced by? And I think at the core, that's my – thanks for bringing that up because that is my primary beef with 
the progressive movement and the, the quote unquote liberals, I'm not even sure they're liberal. You know, John Kennedy was a liberal. John Kennedy said, you know, uh, I forgot the quote now, and I, I say it all the time, but it was really about what can you do for your country, not what can your country do for you. And it really is about individual contribution. But uh, we were talking before we left is uh, we were talking about the abdication responsibility. Mm-hmm. And, um, it, it, you know, it, it, especially it, it went on during the whole COVID thing. And, and you know, it, it's been going on for a while. And I, I think it's, there's an element of, of good intention behind it, you know. Um, but what I've seen is the whole progressive movement is, you know, we're going to provide for you this, or we're going to provide for you this, and we're going to provide for you this, and we're going to provide for you this, and we're going to have this, and we're going to make sure this, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do this. And what that does, it creates, you know, a playbook that if you play by the rules, it really reduces stress and you, you have a predictable outcome. Well, I just don't only see it as a progressive problem like i see it on the right i see yeah. i see this kind of con- abject conformity and, yeah. and 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 a kind of uh adherence to unity on the right yeah. i mean i see it in the when the president behaves badly yeah. and he has behaved badly a number of oh yeah times. he has done a, he has done good on some you know i mean that high lowest unemployment before the covid among African Americans and Hispanics, uh-huh. the lowest unemployment rate. Some of uh-huh. his policies were quite good. I think his policies in the taking Middle on East China, were, I think was right. Some of his policies yeah. in, in the Middle East were excellent. Yeah, uh, but he's also behaved badly. Yes, and we've yes. seen we've seen his little uh, beta boys yep. and girls yep. failing to stand up and say, "Look." John McCain would never have stood for the bad behavior of this president where you're alive. Well, he's, he's, he's an alpha male. He stood up against him and he got he blasted stood up against him, right? So you know? it's both it's on both the left and the right. We're no, I know, I know. Con- conformism and conformity, they both pay. And to be an individualist, to yeah. be a maverick, to be an iconoclast, and to be to, to stand up uh, doesn't pay anymore in America. Yeah. Uh, it no, goes it doesn't. along with being it goes along with victimology. On yeah. both the left and the right, right? Yeah. To either be a victim on the left or to be a conformist on both the left and the right yeah. uh, is rewarding. The president rewards or president rewards loyalty, yeah, unmitigated, undivided loyalty and conformity. And the question is, you know, when we when one looks at one's self in the mirror, one's eyes have got to meet squarely and you have to look at yourself in the mirror and are you going to sell your soul out for the rewards mm-hmm. of rewarding power yeah and the question that most americans i think are i won't say most let me not be guilty of hyperbole here but yeah. a lot a lot of americans have to answer is it worth it is the price of my soul selling out my individualism and my individuality worth the cost of whatever it is that i'm I'm being paid, whether it's power or money, you know. Um, Jay, that's a that's a high level question, and I think when people are consumed by fear, mm-hmm. and when they are wrapped up in narcissism after being conditioned for 25 years, their first 25 years of their life, that they're special, mm-hmm. and they're thrust out in the world, and they realize that specialness no longer goes with them anymore. There is a pull toward the herd. For survival, yeah. right? Yes. When you yes. when you look at how herd animals operate, you know, they they come together to protection in a group, 
and they're they're okay if one or two of them gets picked off. Yeah. You know, thank God it wasn't me. And and that's what I've seen. And, and you're right; it's on both sides. I, the reason I don't work in corporate America anymore is because the way you get fired from corporate America, even if you're one of the top producers, mm-hmm. is to demonstrate independent thinking. Yes. And you will get fired if you raise an oppositional posi- position to an idea that someone holds near and dear. Mm-hmm. And it's happened to me more than once. And, and so it's in corporate America. It's in the progressive. I, I, what I'm starting to see is there's not a lot of difference between the red and the blue. There's different ways of going about it, but the mentality, the thought process behind it is about the same. Yes. You know? Yes. It's let's join in a herd, let's play inside the herd, and let, how can I dominate inside my herd? And it's that tribalism you're talking about. Yes. And what it'll bring up is the most feral member of the herd is the one who will survive and gain the most. That's right. That's the disgusting. Bullies. The bullies. The bullies. Yeah. The bullies. And we often equate bully behavior with, with, with alpha male leadership. And it's not. And it's not the same. No, it's not. You know? yeah. No, one is, about, one is about inspiring. The yes. true, I think the true alpha male is about inspiring the ethical, let's just, because they're bad alphas. Yeah. The true ethical alpha male, as you know, is one who, Absolutely. Who inspires people, who brings out the best, yeah. the highest, the highest level. Doesn't appeal to the lowest common denominator in other people, but inspires other people to be their best. Yeah. You know, taps into their creativity. It doesn't micromanage, but no. but but trusts that his co-workers or or her people or her co-workers will will be able to to tap within the best within themselves and and trusts trusts that. And that's not the same as bullying. That's not the no. same as, as as rampant coercion. No. Um, or or uh, passive aggressiveness. Or that's passive the aggressiveness. that's the other version that I see. You know, as, yeah. as they'll say one thing and do the other, and 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 have you believe, and it's this appeasing. You know, and and I look I look at the great political leaders of our country, and when you when you think about who the real rugged individualists were in my lifetime. You know, I think it begins with Eisenhower and it was John Kennedy and it was, you know, Ronald Reagan. And, mm-hmm. and as much as I thought he wasn't very good, even to some degree, George Bush II, you know, mm-hmm. these were, these were dudes, you mm-hmm. know, and dudes that were committed to something bigger than themselves. Mm-hmm. It wasn't mm-hmm. about their egos. Right. Um, the rest of the guys, I, I, you know, that have been in that position, it, it, it Jimmy Carter doesn't count because he's kind of an aberration, but <laughs> he's really a unique dude, man. I think a good guy, horrible president, right? <laughs> like well, he made a wrong turn. Well, he was running against, you know, he came in after Nixon. I, I could have got elected. I was twenty-one, you know. I don't know anybody who was friends with Yasser Arafat is old for me. I don't know. Oh, what, what, was he? Okay, yeah. Yeah, but, I don't know. Well, I, I think he just wanted to make nice with everybody. Here, let's yeah, all yeah, have, that's true. Let's that's all have true. cupcakes, and everything's going to be nice. As the yeah. world burns around him, you know, but yeah, you know, it's just, it, 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 but what's happened is that to get to the position where you can actually affect change, it requires so much compromise nowadays, so much of the herd mentality that I, I wonder if people lose themselves. Well, you know, there's a kind of infantilization of the self that is really going on because things have been so, so going so well, yeah. where we kind of project that yeah. need for 
parental protection onto some herd leader. Yeah. And we've, we've just infantilized ourselves. And, and infantilization, I think, from a psychological perspective, um, is quite common when we live in an, in an era of comfort, you yeah. know, low unemployment, yeah. things are going well. And um, when things are going rough and we have to really dig up the dross mm-hmm. in our souls and find the resources within ourselves to take care of ourselves, yeah. back to self-reliance, then we wake up as adults. Yeah. But you mentioned in the show, and I agreed with you a couple of weeks ago, that, you know, 911 was an aberration, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, things had been going really, really, really well in this mm-hmm. country for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. The yeah. 90s were fabulous. The dot-com <laughs> well, they were. bubble. They were. You know. It was a part. It was a frat house. We were a frat house. A frat yeah. house. Yeah. And uh, people, got, people got lazy. They yeah. got morally and spiritually lazy. Yeah. Well, brother, um, this is our last minute. Um, thank you. Thank you thank for you. your wisdom today. I, I came in here... I was not doing well. I was literally on the brink of tears, and I'm not on the brink of tears now, but I still, you know, I hope what we said today can you know, provide some hope for some people out there. But, uh, yeah, man, uh, what do you got on the agenda this week? Anything cool? Any TV appearances? Um, a couple of interviews, and yeah. then just wrap t- the last day of teaching. It's on Wednesday. And, oh. uh, so I'm just going to do a lot of last minute remote teaching over the weekend and just relax, live my life. You know, do a lot of, I've been reading tons of books in psychology, like awesome. depth, psych, depth psychology. Well, we got to roll everyone. This is Mike. Okay. This is Jason. This is Into the Gap. This is WCGO Chicago. Goodbye. See you next week. Bye.